0: Four,
1: three, two, one. Hey, welcome back to Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and joining me, Adam Myros.
0: Uh, Hello, Steve. Hello, hello. Myros, it's a great week. Butthole is back, baby. I know it's our long awaited follow up to the fucking sinful dwarf apparently. That's right. That's right. How did you guys even settle on this? I just woke up one day and all of a sudden it was it was National Bo Arn Vebenius week apparently. Yeah. This
2: is 100% all Steve. This is pure yep. Steve content. <laughs>
0: yeah, you I was know, like where the fuck is Bo Arn Vebenius and why are we watching his
1: movies? Well, you know how you say how you say butthole in Swedish? Bo Arn. So,
2: a lesson for you there. Uh also joining us this week, Jack Eason. Uh yeah, I'm a seasoned uh Boarn guy, so so this is uh I was able to ease myself into this one. Do you <laughs> it's impossible to
1: tell if you mean seasoned in as the you know the filmmaker or just a seasoned butthole guy, but
0: I think both yeah,
2: was just, <laughs> I'm playing with the ambiguity here, you know? Mm. Just just Jack
0: <laughs> slipped into these movies like a pinky into an anus.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: like That's uh right. yeah. Like a like a dry but well manicured
1: pinky,
2: you know, like a scalpel I, I b- into an eyeball <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh boy, uh, well, <laughs> like a gear shift into a vagina uh, b- before we continue <laughs> with the similes and metaphors <laughs> uh, i I do have to say i mean this this is a uh, it's a podcast about the films of Boar and Vibenius, but. It's also an announcement that I mean, Sean Glynnis, I think it's it's time to announce his cancellation. Uh, we had I had an, an amazing Sean Glynnis moment this past week that I'd like to share with with everyone. Uh, basically, we were driving back from the bar, and you know, Sean he's he's a real moralizing fuck, right? Like anytime he can he can pass judgment on someone else, he's just looking to do it, right? Sure, sure. And so. Uh, we we were we were walking we were, we were driving back. It was about one in the morning. We stop at a stop stoplight or a stop sign, and there are two people. And Sean goes, "Man, that kid should not be out this late." And then that kid turns slowly towards the car, and wouldn't you know, it was a small adult. So. Uh, Sean, uh, just clearly no respect for little people, uh, just, just moralizing left and right. And, and this is typical behavior from him. You know, it's, uh, from day one, you know, he started watching game of Thrones and he saw Peter Dinklage. It was just like that baby shouldn't be drinking. Uh, or the first time he saw Willow and he's like, Oh, that baby shouldn't have a sword. Uh, or, or when he saw, uh, uh, the sinful dwarf, <laughs> the sinful dwarf, yeah, and he's like, "What's that guy doing giving
0: women heroin? Maybe he should rethink I gotta say, that." There's plenty of things certainly, in that movie that really no one of any age should be doing. So certainly, mm-hmm.
2: if you're watching like the sinful dwarf, it's a little, little pretentious to be passing judgment on the dwarf. I don't think of what that mm-hmm. film is about.
0: Yeah,
1: it's, uh, it's, it's you know, I, I don't know. And same thing too when he when he first watched the Austin Powers trilogy, and and he was just like, oh. You know that, that baby shouldn't be spending time with Mike Myers. It's just uh, a, a history of bigotry. The Sean Glennis story. So that unfollowing him on Twitter now. Oh, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna unfollow him, then I'm gonna follow him again, so he gets the notification, just so I can unfollow him again, so he really knows that it it, it you know hits a little deeper. But anyways, uh, enough about that. Uh, let's, let's get into the, the cinema of, of Bo Arn Vibenius, And I'm sure some people out there are saying, what's all this talk of buttholes and Bo Arns? And I'm going to take you back. I'm going to take you back to the 1970s, late 1960s, actually. And uh, Bo Arn Vibenius, uh, he started his career quite the pedigree, honestly. He was working with uh, Ingmar Bergman. And while he was working with Bergman, he worked on Persona as an AD, I'm pretty sure. And mm-hmm. uh, also worked on Hour of the Wolf uh, as a production guy. Uh, I think like a unit director maybe on that. And then he decided to strike out and do his own thing. And again, incredible pedigree here. Uh, so he tried making a children's movie, which I, I guess, do you want me to try and pronounce the title of the, of the Swedish children's movie? Would you guys enjoy that?
2: I, I would enjoy that. I think that would be fun.
1: Okay. Well, how about Her Marie Trafade Frederick?
0: Yeah, no, that and,
2: sounds just bang on. Incredible. Yeah.
0: Could could not be more Swedish than what I just said. I think it means like Marie when Marie met Frederick or something like that. Oh, I look at me. Mr. 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 Fucking yeah. Google Translate over here. Well, no, I I tried to get a copy of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a tough listed one to as such.
2: That, that's right. We're, do, we're doing the, the Fabanius cast, and we've only watched two of the three movies he's made.
0: Well, well listen. This movie seemingly does not exist uh, outside of uh, Swedish language. There's no subtitles. There's no translation. There is nothing. It, it, uh, th- what Very few copies do exist are, are locked in, in Swedish, which uh, I don't know how much I'll get out of. That. No, we can't. We can't be locked in a Swedish prison. It, it would not work. So we
1: tried. We did our due diligence, but... No subs, no thanks. And uh, after that, it turned out that the movie was actually a critical hit, but it flopped commercially. So he said, I'm going to try and make a movie that I think will make money. And that led us to his most famous film. And it's kind of hilarious that he thought that this would make money. But uh, this brings us to his second feature-length film, Thriller, A Cruel Picture, also released as Thriller, they call her One Eye in edited form because uh, the uncut version of this movie was completely banned in his home country. And I believe he's the only person to have not one, but two films completely banned in
0: Sweden.
2: So he claims uh, in a row. (laughs)
0: <laughs> all the more impressive I, when you've only directed three films. I I just love this whole narrative. Like, to me, it, I can't help but picture of my mind, like, fucking Bergman directing Persona and his AD is like, Jim Wynorski or something. <laughs> it's like, what this movie needs is more fingers and assholes. Like,
2: what, <laughs> what is happening here? Like, how did this happen? I think, I think the idea that he was pursuing, I and mean, you see, because Vibinius is smart, and he clearly, he's, wor- I mean, w- what we'll get to eventually So that Vibinius is honestly, he's a pretty solid filmmaker. This guy is no slouch, uh, despite his films certainly having this kind of reputation. Um, but, you know, he worked, he was apparently the youngest ever uh, kind of guy accepted into the Swedish film school at the time. You know, he was something of a prodigy. He just, he watched films voraciously in his youth. Um so, and it was, I guess, in this sw- Swedish film school that he met up with Ingmar Bergman, who he'd ultimately end up working with, etc. Um, but I think his commercial plan was to get banned in Sweden. I think that was his pretty ingenious concept, because he didn't care about making it in Sweden. Sweden's one small country, but it is a country known for its, you know, kind of progressivism and very laissez-faire Outlook on sexual mores. So, in a, ba- a big country like the United States, if you can slap Band in Sweden on your <laughs> film, that's gonna sell stuff. And ultimately, that's kind of what happened. It's, although he claims he never got any money for this movie, ultimately, uh, that's a different story. But the, the theory was sound. You make the movie, you make sure that the Swedish censor board will look at it and give a very quick fuck no and then you go to other territories to sell it. And that was kind I of mean, the idea. Yeah, this is
0: the only reason any of us have ever seen Island of Death, probably. wow, nice. 100%,
1: because when we rented it, it, back in, like, 2004 or something, it had this big, chunky box that said Banned in 72 Countries. <laughs> you better fucking
2: believe I'm going to rent it if it's banned in 72 Countries. Also yeah. a weirdly good movie, frankly. Yeah, yeah I like know. <laughs> kind of like Cannibal Holocaust, abandoned. But however, I don't know, they make up the number every single time. I suspect (laughs) they did for Island of Death 2. I don't think 74 or whatever fucking censorship groups ever saw that movie. Mm -hmm. But it was banned in the UK and it was probably frowned upon in several other territories and that's enough. So, you know, good thinking. I don't know, I like the
1: idea of like the Zimbabwe censorship board being like, "Uh uh-uh, not here. (laughs) What the
2: fuck is this?
1: (laughs) Probably banned in Greece, I would imagine. Doesn't show the Greeks in a good light. (laughs) No, no, the tourist board, the
2: Mykonos tourist board probably were like, "Mm, we're looking for something a little sunnier than this. Very sunny, less paint drinking, maybe. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, you're telling me that Swedish laissez-faire attitudes do not extend to uh, addicting women to heroin?
2: Well, tra- that violation of a know. corpse, things are like, you know, stuff of that nature. I'm not even sure, how do they not even have laws on that? I, I think they probably leaned into that one a little bit later after they'd already done it when it might be harder to trace it back, because so far as I can tell, they really did desecrate a corpse to make this movie which is not something many movies can claim like when you're looking at like regular hollywood stuff you're like oh his girl friday or die hard or whatever you know none of them have like desecrating a corpse in them usually
1: yeah it's it's weird what's real and what's not real and and what is questionable in this film because i know uh, our boy, Bo Arn, has gone on the record to say that, like, the hardcore scenes, it's not the actual actor and the actress. We got, we got stunt pussy, we got stunt dick, uh, stunt butthole all around.
2: They got Romeo um, and Juliet, the traveling sex duo.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> A thing Everybody that existed in the 1970s. Hmm. Mm-hmm. We have. It to seems go back.
0: odd that they would have like what? Why would they have like stunt casting for the men? Like it's not like the men who are having the sex are really asked at any point
2: to. Well, actually I, w- I would presume they had stunting because because the the man, one of the men who is involved in the sex scenes, has to then show up for the super slow motion murder scene, which probably took mm-hmm. a considerably long amount of time. and I'm assuming Romeo had to get in the back of his fucking Volvo and head to the next town over to bang his wife in front of a group (laughs) of strangers for money. Uh, The actress, it made sense, because Christina Lindbergh was actually a star. She was the only star in this movie. Uh, She was already established at this point as, like, you know, a penthouse model, a cover model. She had been in, you know, on all kinds of magazines and in several other films, uh, including a couple of, like, really big movies in, in Sweden. Granted, I think she was... In all of those movies, she was just the naked chick, you know. She—it's not like she mm-hmm. was uh, had built a huge reputation as an actress. A real herself. Swedish
1: Bo Derek, if you it, will. Yeah,
2: exactly. Uh, probably with a less creepy husband, but yeah, well, <laughs> you know. We hope we can only hope with a less creepy husband. I, I would wish that on any person to not have to put up with that. But uh, yeah, you know. So, so she came in on this, and, and apparently, paid was paid way below her going rate. But she actually really wanted to do this movie in part because. It's funny, because she, she acknowledges she wasn't a great actress. Like Literally, she her character in this movie is mute from the first scene. Uh, the opening scene of the movie involves a young girl being taken into the forest by a, an elderly man and raped, sexually assaulted by a guy who just socks up blood while he's doing it. And this incredibly just disturbing, fucked up kind of a, an intro. Like, most movies ease you in a little bit more than that. Um... And then, you know, we we fast forward to her as an adult and they just, so two old ladies discuss and just say, hey, she, yeah, it's ever she's been mute ever since she was uh, assaulted by that old asshole. And that was, Lindbergh is on the record of saying that, like, she wanted to do more movies and she wanted to be in better, more challenging movies, but she didn't really, she wasn't really good at remembering dialogue. So... She wanted to be an actress, but she wasn't so good at lines. So fair enough. Yeah, this is that's the fair the perfect... uh, same as me.
0: I couldn't memorize right. that shit.
2: So this is the perfect well, solution? Mean, you,
0: you make it big, you get that good earpiece going. You're gonna go. get
2: the Marlon Brando mm-hmm. hack. But he did learn some dialogue prior to that. I think <laughs> maybe I don't know. But now, yeah. So now listen,
0: I will
1: say while she doesn't have any lines uh, to spout off, and I've I've never seen her in any films where she has to speak, so I can't really you know personally attest to assessing her acting ability Uh, her ability to act without saying lines i think is phenomenal she's got i mean she's got a real presence on screen
2: yeah this is uh this is just one of those perfect synergies i mean like above all else thriller is a grungy nasty rape revenge thriller it is also really a really impressive piece of work this is and you know something that is not like a happy accident. It is very clear Vibenius had a very distinct vision with this film, and the film is unusual in a number of regards. Um, not least of all the fact that its violence is all of the violence is super slow motion. It's kind of robbed of any kind of kinetic energy. You know, th- there's all these like very distinct artistic decisions that are happening throughout. Like this is very clearly not the work of a pornographer, even though elements of this absolutely have to be categorized as pornographic but that was that was part of his overall strategy um to i guess firstly get the movie Mm. banned and secondly it you know it kind of does heighten the just degradation elements it really kind of slams home this sort of um i mean just that this girl has been just sold into prostitution into sex trafficking by just the most awful men imaginable and this you know and this and they didn't make this up sex trafficking is a real thing these kind of people exist um mm-hmm. so you know it 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 really works and it's kind of wild
1: too because i mean basically this movie is what every single republican thinks is actually happening every day like they're pretty <laughs> right? sure that like all of your ch- they think all of your children are going to be abducted and molested and then uh, they think they're going to be sold into sex trafficking and there's sex traffickers everywhere. And then they believe that the only way to solve it is uh, through a violent power fantasy involving guns. So,
0: yeah, right. They they fortunately also believe that they're all Liam Neeson. So Yeah, yeah, that's true, too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it all works out. I'm honestly, once we get to to Breaking Point, his next film, the Republican fantasy levels are just skyrocket off the chart <laughs> the,
1: through the. And, and this is part of of what makes Vimenius an amazing filmmaker because, th- I mean, this is, uh, but between Breaking Point and Thriller, th- these are just like how Republicans see the world. And yet, I don't think there's a single conservative in the world who would enjoy watching these films. So. Uh, weird how that works. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So in thriller specifically, I think if if you want to talk about just like the skill on display here, the the action scenes are second to none. Just kind of amazing the way that that he shoots these, and they're all in super duper slow mo. And I I was able to dig up a single. English language interview with Bohar Vibenius, and it's from like 2000. <laughs> so at this point, you know, 22 years old. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because among other things, he says he's got like eight completed screenplays that he hasn't made yet, including he says uh, he has a, th- a sequel to thriller that in the interview, he originally said, just waiting for funding look for it christmas 20 or christmas 2002 like yeah dude i bet it's going to come out does he mention the
2: plot of that because on oh, the new
1: why yes he does oh yeah uh, it's
2: <laughs> it's something
1: yeah he said that it, he it, it was going to be about how uh the the girl is is hired to go to a banana republic and murder the cia which i think is fucking
0: awesome
2: (laughs) oh man if only if oh i i don't think it's ever going to get funded but that's why
0: like that's my thing is it's like tarantino is like an avowed like super fan of this movie, and what he's going to fund Larry Bishop and not <laughs> Boarn? Come on, fucking yeah. get your priorities straight. It's the completely concern insane. might be that
2: Boarn would make a better movie than Tarantino, where Larry Bishop is not really running in that category.
1: No, no,
2: it and it, it's
1: oh God, yeah, it's wild to me that that he didn't get to make more. But these these action sequences, which are just completely mesmerizing, the reason they look so good is because, again, in this interview, he says that he shot them at 500 frames per second, and he did that using a military-grade camera, like he borrowed a camera from the military, <laughs> and it was a camera that they used for missile tests, and he used it to yep. shoot action
0: scenes, which is it's That's fucking nuts. wild, that one, yeah, that one, it's, like, beating up the cops scene or whatever, it's just like some of the strangest looking stuff. <laughs>
2: It's it's okay. impressive. It's worth mentioning at this point, like because you 'cause you're kinda like, how do you make a movie for no money but borrow cameras from the military? And I suppose the the, the trick on this is that Vibanius left film school and he didn't make I mentioned that, that first film that was a, a festival hit but not a commercial hit and kind of like didn't point the way forward for him. So he ultimately went to Saab and just uh, worked and they're kind of like marketing production department and he directed commercials and I'm guess probably instructional videos and stuff for for Saab which I'm sure was a very stable well-paid job but probably didn't really scratch the itch. But you know so so he combined he had these incredibly strong creative credentials from having worked with Ingmar Bergman gone to film school etc and then he also had this professional pedigree of being like a top ad man at sob, mm-hmm. which I guess probably helps when you knock on the Swedish military's door and you're like, hi, can I get the insane camera I need to film a one-eyed lady kicking the shit out of some cops?
0: Yeah, yeah, the, the, do you burn through your budget on that, right? Like, how much fucking film are you going to use to film these sequences? Like, oh, God, I can't even imagine. Christ.
2: It is, it's like, it makes John Woo, like, John Woo slow motion look pretty normal. Like, it, it's not just that there's a lot of slow motion, it is insanely slow motion. Mm-hmm. It is remarkable. But again, it, and it's mm-hmm. a very, you know, very distinct creative choice that creates this kind of like, almost like freezing of time whenever she she's brought to, to bear on people. Um, It's not like dynamic and chaotic, it's this very, you know, it's incredibly slow on screen. Uh, but it creates this just remarkable kind of visual tableau in all of the scenes where it happens. You Like, it's not like anything you've ever seen before. And the way, like, when he, she kicks a guy in the chin and he arches backwards and blood shoots out of his mouth, he, like, the stuntman spits out a big gob of fake blood and it just, like, achingly slowly just arcs across the screen like a little fountain. It's It's... Really something. That, you know, if I were to think of movies that are like this, I, I'm coming up blank immediately. They're really... This is really strange, striking stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing that people need to understand, too, is
1: I, I think this film has been... It's been praised, but also misunderstood, including by people like myself, because when you hear, oh, Tarantino loves it, and for years and years and years... The only available cut is the they call her one eye cut, which basically has all the hardcore stripped out of it and some other things as well. Uh, it loses a lot of its oomph and it loses its tone and it kind of loses its pacing. For the most part, this is not a movie with you know tons of rip roaring action uh, or even tons of hardcore sex like there's hardcore scenes but they take place in just quick little bursts uh there's violence but everything happens in this kind of beautiful slow motion most of this movie is very very methodical Uh, some would call it uh, maybe (laughs) Bergman-esque so it's not this is not what you would normally associate this kind of grindhouse exploitation cinema with it's it's a gorgeous movie it just happens to have uh, Nut sacks and buttholes and right. slow motion shotgun blasts.
2: Yeah, I think so, I think the methodical nature as well. It's in, like, there's honestly when when the when her kidnapper sends a letter home to her parents, you know, he kind of sends a fake letter saying that she's run away from home to you know, like cover cover her disappearance. And I swear, to the, like the parents are sitting there in this like dark, like sparse house, and not, like straight, it's straight up out like a Bergman or a Dreher movie. It's like a you no, know, <laughs> wow, okay, movie. <laughs> You know, not not great for the tourist boards. Like, do these guys have lights and heating and stuff? Everything looks real depressing. But it it does it does fit in with like this movie has a like you say, Steve, a kind of a methodology to it. It's it's a really interesting film, even in the way that it frames its revenge and its female protagonist, um, in that she kind of consigns herself to the suffering when she when she's kidnapped she resists or she tries to escape at first but there comes a point where she just basically decides the only way out is through and she kind of consigns that she will have to work as a prostitute for a while to negotiate to get to the points where she can you know the the revenge is in her head completely but she is working towards it it's it's you know kind of a strange kind of focus where a lot of these movies you know revenge movies are much more you know impulsive and explosive and so you know this one is very much about like a woman being dragged through hell and kind of planning her exit strategy throughout um and it's it's it, which makes it a really interesting film um i mean kind of as a feminist perspective this is you know which is interesting because this film obviously came out in the 1970s during a period when when feminism was the kind of presiding school of feminism was pretty staunchly anti-pornography, anti-sex work, anti-sexualizing of women, you know, like, they, so Christina Lindbergh being a, a penthouse model, she would not be in a held up as, like, a feminist by presiding kind of schools of thought at the time. And she's mentioned herself that in the, the subsequent decades this film has taken on a new life and, like, many women have approached her since, who, she said, you know, identify as feminist and say that this film is incredible and that it inspired them and that it's, you know, really struck a chord with them. And I think part of that is is it's a film that identifies a kind of, um what do you say, kind of like an unworkable, horrific lot that this woman has that she has to negotiate. And there's no quick solution, there's no easy way out, there's no you know, kind of like, yeah. you know, like in a movie, there's no, no, you know, grand finale to kind of like, you know, push her out and get away clean. No, she has to go through the degradation and the torture and the suffering and the the heroin addiction. And I mean, she's actually a functioning heroin addict for the entire film. She never kicks that. That's kind of like a, a thing that hangs over the whole film. But that she ultimately is able to brutally murder a few people who need to be brutally murdered in her estimation. And then the film ends like we don't really know like she's nothing left her family are gone uh, you know it, it's a real stark film and there's just so many interesting touches throughout it like it really like i think it's really interesting you know after all of this that that the final bad guy is killed ultimately by a horse approaching a food bucket like just the most of uh, a horse following the mm-hmm. most banal primal instinct Kills the guy in the in the setup that she has determined for him. This very poetic ending, um, you know, and and again, like another thing that I noticed watching this film that kind of complicates its image. Like it's it's a surprisingly interesting film. Is that um the early sequence of the film shoot a lot of people from Christina or from uh I trying to think Madeline is the name Madeline of Mm Friga depending apparently on which version you watch is the main character's name. Uh, A lot of the early scenes shoot. Uh, shoot POV her POV when she's like raped, the the rapist is seen in, in a point of view, and then her father is also shot in a point of view, even though he would be considered not threatening male role, role model in the film. And then she meets Tony, who ultimately kidnaps her and moves, puts her, forces her into sex trafficking. Um, he's not shot with a point-of-view shot. He's he's actually shot almost like she... I think she actually does see an escape with him originally before she realizes he's actually fucking evil incarnate. Uh, And then in the finale, we suddenly, those point-of-view shots return again after she deals with Tony. There's, like, this interesting uh, kind of navigation of the main of this this woman's kind of like perspective on the world and of course she's mute throughout she never says a word throughout this movie there's not like after she kills tony she doesn't like turn to the camera and say something cool which i a hundred percent could could see an american filmmaker doing in this era you know like oh she's cured now it's all good Mm -hmm. um it's it's a really thoughtful interesting film that just happens to be absolutely just sorted in in so many of its details
0: yeah it is it's a really interesting approach to making this sort of film like everything about it feels very like colored by experience it feels incredibly subjective to the character like the uh, really grotesque open we discuss like it doesn't read really grotesque when you're watching it at the moment it's like it's almost got this ethereal, like really childhood memory quality to it. It it doesn't it doesn't feel like what it is until you're kind. Of, it's reframed later, and you're like, oh, "Holy shit, <laughs> what a nightmare!" <laughs> but that that's kind of yeah. the modus operandi of this entire film. Is you know, rather than having this sort of violent rape at any point, it, it's it, it's almost like this abuse just becomes part of a an elliptical daily routine like it's just uh, it's it's just very fascinating stuff and even the revenge it, again it, all all of this stuff is framed in its own way it's like there's this extensive preparation for it that's just kind of it's like going to the fucking grocery store or something you go yeah, to the I grocery do, store and then we go to the gun range
2: <laughs> i do wonder uh yeah the, like this the montage here is it kind of gets into her like daily daily life as as a prostitute and which where where has the bulk of the hardcore inserts i do wonder if like someone like lucas mudison saw that for lilia forever which kind of had a similar oh, sure. idea but ultimately kind of a point of view shot over like men just you know kind of over her and it was just a parade of men in the same position just you know while she was being raped over and over and over again you know i i wonder if that's uh a possible direct reference, just as like, I mean, Vibanius has like this incredible sequence in the, in this film where she gets her car, and she's just driving to, I, th- I think it's the drive to the first murder, where she's where she's finally, the plan is going to action, and it's this incredibly slow shot, it's just her driving the car, the camera's kind of in the back seat, all you can see of her face is in the rear view mirror, you see her eye patch in her her other eye, just that area of her face. And the camera and the car just drives very slowly, unremarkably, and it's just kind of like this, just slow, methodical element, just like everything else in the film. Like there's just no rush in anything. It's like it's this leaden, unmoving, unyielding film portion. Like you just you have to sit down and be in it. There's no other way to rush it along or anything. Um which you know is. Which again, kind of like really drives home that when a i p got this and decided let's cut twenty minutes out of it and rename it, it's kind of like uh maybe, maybe don't, but you know that's that's the a i p made a lot of money doing shit like that, so kind of the history of the mean, cinema
0: it is just like some of the approaches in this film are something you never see in this type of cinema, and also they're just astonishing, like this has some truly beautiful photography and it, its use of close-ups, really, in in both of his prominent films here, are just fantastic. And that, like her initial like attempt to escape, where she's like stumbling through that park, is some of the most beautiful stark photography you'll ever see. And it's just the choices he makes, like the way uh, he shoots these this like car chase when she uh, steals this police car. And again, that's something that's replicated in Breaking Point as well. It, it's not. I don't even know it's 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 just a foreign language to me like the way this is filmed it doesn't look like any other car (laughs) chase you'll ever see and it's not because it's like not exciting it's very compelling and interesting to watch but these cars like flying off the road or something and and they kind of go off like bizarre pop guns smoke comes off them it's just like such a an effect that's nothing like what you were conditioned to see with these, like, grand explosions and stuff. Everything has a very, I I I'm I don't even know that I'd call it realist, because I'm guessing that a car would not explode in such a fashion, but it just has a very, like, toned down and deliberate approach to everything in this
2: film. Yeah, I mean, several of those people, I guess, are, are civilians from, like, it's just sort of a collateral damage element at that point. I, I suppose mm-hmm. part of it came from, I mean, Vibinius was very smart. And again, I guess he had that reach because um, like the car stuff, I know he was able to hire some like world champion race car drivers. He was able to get those in. You know, he obviously had the strings to contact them and basically ask, hey, you want to do, do you want to be in a movie alongside the sexiest woman in Sweden? And they were like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. And he probably <laughs> didn't have to pay them that much. Real smart, you know. Um, He's ex-army, so I'm wondering, you know, the, the weapon stuff, if he knew people to, like, put all that stuff together. But yeah, th- there's there's a tremendous amount of expertise in it. The stunt work was apparently he just kind of hooked up with, and I, I guess it was like, I don't think this was because of this movie, but it seemed like around this time, like, two guys in Sweden decided that maybe Sweden could use a stunt team. And he just kind of found those two guys, and they're both in the movie. Uh, you know, choreographing fights uh, like the two policemen are are those two guys, I believe. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like he was able to find really qualified, interesting people to produce this very, and then just I guess his own interesting perspective to frame this very high octane content, which which gives it an incredibly unique kind of perspective on the film, like you're saying, Adam. I mean, it, it's very peculiar this is not the way most people would make this film even if you handed no. them the same script it would never come out like this
0: yeah it's very bizarre stuff we should mention too if you if you ever want to see a uh... A thrillingly realistic eye gouge. Well, oh, here's geez. your
2: film. But uh, that may be because.
0: That's it's gotta an actual... be a real ass eye, right? <laughs> yeah. I think yeah that I have... They may have actually sliced an eyeball. I in.
2: have always wondered about this. And I watch, again, uh, Vinegar Syndrome had like a, have a documentary on this. And they talk to Christina Lindbergh. Christina Lindbergh says that uh, she can't say for sure, but she knows someone who is very close to the production who she would consider a reliable source. And a young woman committed suicide and her body was in the morgue and Vibanius knew some people who worked in the morgue, I think, filming things. I guess maybe they did instructional videos. I mean, he's an ad instructional movie guy. Maybe he knew these people. He somehow managed, like, according to what she's heard, he just managed to get them to literally take this girl's corpse, put makeup on the one eye to match Christina Lindbergh's character. And then in a Aching close up, stick a, uh, a scalpel straight into the eyeball, and it's certainly it's the most realistic special effect I've ever fucking seen in a movie. If it's not yeah. real,
0: right? Yeah, you, you you might be thinking in your mind something like fucking zombie or and un- chien- Andalu. No, this is a different fucking beat. <laughs>
2: No, if this a is special effects, it's, effect, it's it, whoever did it and no one's credited for the special effects for it. It's a fucking remarkable piece of work and they probably deserve an honorary Oscar.
1: There's very few things that can make me squeamish at this point in my life. And as I was watching that, I was just like audibly, I was just like,
2: ah uh, ah, uh, uh, <laughs> like, it's just really like, uncomfortable to watch let me tell you in 4k it holds up it still looks real as hell yeah you,
0: you know to jack's point it, if if some fucking like whoever was working on the crew for this who went to the trouble of uh you're getting into a morgue and slicing the eyeball of a corpse They do indeed deserve an Oscar. Give them an honorary Oscar for uh, going above and beyond the call of duty.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, Well, you know what? We could petition to the Academy and see if maybe they can give a special Oscar out for that, but. It certainly
2: deserves Oh yeah, it. yeah. One one more well, thing as well, because because I I did note uh, we've mentioned the Swedish censor board uh, banned this film. They saw it and they were like, absolutely not. But uh, do you want to know what they actually categorized the film as? Or what what they actually responded with? They they said that thriller a a cruel picture was coarsening and harmfully arousing. <laughs> Ooh, harmfully so, arousing. Yeah, if you were a theater owner, is that, that... Movie, <laughs> Jesus? One other thing that I do wonder about this film, and I, I feel like I need to go back and check, which will be no imposition because the films are amazing, but uh, Lindbergh in her um, duster and wide-brim hat looks really like fucking Meiko Kaji in the female prisoner scorpion movies. And I'm they, mm-hmm. they came out almost at the exact same time, and I'm trying to work out, like, did this just happen independently? That two of the great female exploitation characters of cinema came out at the same time and they they're both wearing like you know black dusters and and wide-brimmed hats like did this happen the first female prisoner of scorpion movie or movies came out a year before thriller but i don't remember if she's dressed like that in those and i also don't know if those movies would have made it their way to sweden in that time um and also i think I can't thriller imagine. was shot in late 72 so I uh, you know did, or maybe 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 the guys saw Mako Kashi saw this. I I don't know. I'm really curious though because they really, really look very similar.
0: Well, I uh, mm-hmm. this is a fascinating and unique film, but I I'm afraid I'm going to have to give it one out of ten because no one in fact calls her one eye at any point. Nope, no one calls her one they eye. They could
2: just dub it again. They could just redub it, fix that.
0: <laughs> I don't know. They call her the pirate. Oh, I God. guess. <laughs> and they do call her that,
1: yeah. But I guess, but but again, I mean, just changing the name to Thriller, they call her One Eye. Uh, that that kind of changed how people thought of this film. And imagine if it was called Thriller, they call her the Pirate. People would have even e- wilder expectations <laughs> that would not be met. So,
2: I do, also got Dave Tarantino in his
1: fucking coked out brain. Can you imagine, like him, just like breathlessly? Uh, rambling on about this movie and setting it up as some action packed exploitation classic, which it is a classic, but not for the reasons he thinks. And then you watch this, and it's like the whole thing slows down like you shot it at 500 frames per second. <laughs>
0: this is nothing could be more different than Tarantino's assessment of this film. All I'm saying is I lose respect oh, for him God. just because he hasn't thrown money to old Bo Arne. Why the fuck not? You've you, got you, all yeah. the money in the world. Yeah. You, you, it, it's too late now. I mean, Bo Arne is probably on death's door, but you, you've had I mean, all the like money 80. in the world for like fucking 40 years. Why the hell and don't it, you ever throw could, money and to and Bo And he could
2: Arn. give him more, because I know that Vibanius apparently has a script for like, he, need, he need, says he needs $40 million to make a movie called Ruski Invasion, which seems to be about a Love tank it. he needs- yeah, he need, he needs he just needs money to rent an entire tank battalion. I'm not sure of the plot beyond that, but fuck it, let mm-hmm. him do it. Oh, and
1: Ruski invasions
2: are hotter than ever. It's oh, the- exactly. strike while the
1: iron is hot. Right.
2: Yeah, I don't know if they're I'm invading hot. Russia or Russia's invading. That may I mean we I think we we need a good invading Russia movie just to like counterpoint everything why not Mm -hmm. i'm i'm surprised the sleaze merchants i'm i'm surprised the asylum doesn't already have that movie they they might already have that movie to be fair i don't keep up with them (laughs) they should do that they've already got like the top gun whatever top gun danger zone rip-off movie they might as well go all the way in and get get the the russian invasion film as well
0: yeah, you know, mm-hmm. if they just went in and bought every uh script that Bo and Vibenius has laying around, uh their their output would improve tenfold. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Well, gentlemen, how do you follow up a movie
1: <gasps> like Thriller, A Cruel Picture? And with an the even answer better is, movie. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is you you try to get something made, but then The Swedish government pulls a bunch of funding and then you have to bang out a script in like two seconds and then everything gets confusing and you shoot the whole damn movie in like a matter of a week. And then also you have this thing that you do where you steal all the music from the third man so then your (laughs) film is unable to be released anywhere ever. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, 40 years later, a podcast is, is trying to, or 50 years later at this point, a podcast is trying to do an episode on it and they have to get some bizarre VHS rip. That's beat to shit. Anyways, that movie is called breaking point. And I just want to say, before we discuss it, I am so glad we watched it on father's day because <laughs> I mean, if a dad is given unsupervised TV time for two hours, you know he's going in one of two directions. He's watching Falling Down, or he's watching hardcore porn. And this movie posits that... Why not both? You don't have to choose.
2: <laughs> I'd never seen this one before, and, uh, like, uh, I don't know if I agree no with Adam has. that it's better. <laughs> but yeah, that's fair. I don't, I don't know if I agree with Adam that it's better, but this is absolutely cements home that Vibanius was, like, Thriller was no fluke. Vibanius is a real pedigree filmmaker who just happens to make movies that always have the word porno in the title or whatever in the summary, uh, <laughs> the and again got banned thriller. Swedish <laughs> film board. You know, he, he did it again, guys. Yeah, I mean, if, if he had any goodwill
1: with the Swedish film board, uh, he burned most of that when he made Thriller, and then what little bit he had left, I'm pretty sure when your movie is 80% hardcore sex, and then the occasional dream sequence where, uh, you know, a, a fucking a rock hard dick with a fly on it gets flicked with a rubber band. You probably don't have a lot of goodwill left. Oh, why hasn't he
0: made another movie? I think I could tell you. Uh, probably not. Yeah. I, I don't know how I would describe this movie. I feel like this is like, this is yeah this movie's kind of like what what your dad uh the sees when he closes his eyes I feel like you know he's just bored <laughs> at work and, and this movie's like playing behind his eyelids like this is a it's it's a strange one like i on its face it's like oh this is a movie about a serial killer and rapist it's like i don't think so i think this is just a movie about a bored asshole at work who's just like fucking jerking at all the women around him
2: yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a this com- is, uh, like, this is fit- idea of a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, how else do you describe it showing up with, like, uh, it is, is it actually, it's not the actual third man score, it's just very, very simple. No, it but is, it's is the it actual it is- third
0: man score, it okay, is, it's like, it yeah. is okay. stolen.
2: <laughs> okay, so, so how do you, how do you explain a film that opens with, like, breaking point, a pornographic thriller played over the theme from the third man? I mean, it, that's like, that's a joke right there. This is the only move I've ever seen where they jerk off a building, for Christ's sake. Um, (laughs) There's this this incredible Mm -hmm. thing where where the guy works, the establishing shot for where he works, is just this ginormous, towering skyscraper that stands alone in the the landscape of wherever in Sweden this was filmed. Like, it's this ridiculously tall building. There's nothing around it. So, um, Vibenius shoots it, like, so it fills the screen... And then, like, alternates between tilting up and down it with each time he uses, like, the 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 establishing shot. So, like, it's effectively, like, it's this huge phallic center of commerce that then the camera just, like, lightly jacks off as, as the film uh, progresses. Utterly weird stuff. It, it took me a while to catch up with this film because, like Adam says, you know, it seems like it's it's a really, really dark movie about, like, a serial rapist. And then you kind of just realize that maybe nothing in this film is real, like nothing (laughs) at all, like that this guy is just completely delusional and everything we have seen is completely open to interpretation. And then it just becomes, oh, really peculiar. You know, it just kind of goes off the rails. It's like you know the the tv announcers keep talking about crimes that have been committed and they start talking about how you know rape there's a terrible rapist and they just recommend women let the rapist rape them because otherwise he might murder them and that would be worse and yeah, then they just talk about like I kind of believe of the statistic is yeah. jack
1: 89% of women <laughs> yes. enjoy
2: sexual assault or
1: something like that it's insane yes, they dream and about this it. is just yes. playing
2: on a news broadcast <laughs> Which we later find out, obviously, might be the absolutely deranged visions of a lunatic. But, you know, it's played out... It's also awesome movie where, like, everyone in Sweden gets a gun at one point. They just have a coupon <laughs> system. They mail every adult in Sweden a coupon, and you just go to the store and exchange it for a gun, which, talk about a GOP talking point. Holy shit.
0: The gun subplot is, is probably my favorite thing in this whole fucking movie. When he goes to catch it, his coupon, and the guy's like what I can give you is this here exploder ammunition or something. He's like, unfortunately, I can't give you the nuclear <laughs> ammunition. I'm That's like, military only. Yeah, then he he takes his new gun out into a field with his the exploder ammunition or whatever and he, uh, it's got even a more ridiculous name than that, by the way. It's like, I don't even remember what it is, but it's something completely goddamn insane. It's It's just hollow points, I think, but it's they, what he calls it in this script is, like, the most ridiculous thing you could imagine. So he takes it, and he fires it at a tree line, <laughs> and Vimenius just has these trees, like, fucking set to fall over as soon as he fires the gun. It's just, it's amazing. And that, like, comes right off the back of, like, this scene in the middle where... Again, Vibenius is, like, really playing around with this whole, uh, child sex issue, uh, in a very uncomfortable way, where he just has this guy, like, take a young girl out into the woods in his car and, like, feed her a shitload of candy, and then just immediately take her back home as soon
2: as she has. Yeah, it's, it's, it's she's completely like, ambiguous. We have, like, <sighs> no idea if what, if anything, happened there.
0: It's it's very distressing. And she's like, Can I see you again? And he's like, No. It's it, the whole thing has this like bent comedy to it. Like it's just bizarre stuff.
2: <laughs> like yeah, I, I mean I guess to try like to if you were trying to try and sum it up, it's essentially like it feels very much like like Adam, you mentioned like American psycho as like a, a, a reference point. I think like after this is American psycho before Brad Easton Ellis ever imagined it and before a movie actually made it good. So far as I've heard, I never read the book, but I know people have complained about it. But anyhow, um, but but it's it's like essentially a male f- macho fantasy played out with no filter to like utterly depraved elements of just sexual violence and and dom- dominion over all the women and, and everything and just like just wanton slaughter of people he doesn't like, etc. Um. And then, it just, and then it just kind of throws fucking zither music over it to make it a weird comedy, <laughs> which utterly defangs the concept of it being like a sordid, like the a, a deranged, you know, the, the worst excesses of a male power trip fantasy. It becomes like an object of, of ridicule. It's absurd. And I think that, you know, to me, I think that's ultimately kind of the movie. It's like, it's just about a bored guy and his stupid delusions, which are pathetic and yeah it don't make any sense, and that's and it, th- that's the movie.
0: It's like the way they treat this fucking third man score as well, is it's, it's like distorted and looped and played backwards at times, it's just like, it's so strange, but what what is fundamentally what gets me on board with this film and makes me go like, this is something special, is that the guy is still a boring piece of shit even in his own like (laughs) fucking monstrous fantasies he's still a coward (laughs) he's still he's still just the most boring fuck on earth like his idea of this like life as some uh crazed rapist who takes what he wants is is just to kind of walk into a woman's house and go strip (laughs) and then blandly have her like suck him off and it's like what? <laughs> it's just the least creative. And so, and when, <laughs> like, when he
2: says, and when he tells the woman to strip, she obliges, and the camera yeah. just sits there the whole time while she takes off every item of clothing. Like it's this complete, like deflate, like it's terrible porno, which makes yeah. it really bizarre. And also, he fantasizes maybe about getting stabbed in the balls at one point uh, with scissors, <laughs> which is a peculiar addition.
0: Yeah, everything that he is imagining, like again, if we accept that, I I think it's very heavily implied that nothing is actually right. happening in this movie, other than the guy's going to work and and going home while his family is out of town. Um, it's just it's so repetitive and boring, and this it's just the idea that this is the extent of this guy's violent fantasy life. He's just he's both like a monstrous piece of shit and also just so goddamn useless and boring, (laughs) and that, just that combination is is fucking incredible.
2: It's really funny, because, yeah, like, there's all the women he works with in the office who he fantasizes about, and ultimately there's, you know, a couple of, like, sex scenes involving them, but every time outside the sex scenes, it's like the actress comes up and, like, throws, like, an envelope or something on his desk or whatever, and they just, they look so, like, utterly bored, like, like, they have no respect for him, and that's also, like, is that the real part, or is he, is he dreaming that up to justify his own fantasies? It's completely ambiguous, but it's certainly, like, like you say, it just seems like this guy is just a tremendously soulless boring guy, who just no one really likes. And you know, and that's that's his entire being essentially, and he just kind of escapes into it in goofy fantasies. Um, one of the great fantasies, this well, is that at one point he's kidnapped by bank robbers, and he has yeah. to he gets dragged away, and he has to use his his government mandated gun with destructor ammo or whatever to uh, escape, and then he just shoots down a police helicopter in a absolutely <laughs> insane <laughs> sequence. Um, this movie shares with Breaking or with, with Thriller a viewpoint that the Swedish police are good for fucking nothing. They don't do anything in either film. Uh, like literally the, the only role the police have in Thriller, like this woman has been kidnapped and brought into sex trafficking and prostitution and hooked on drugs and her life is stolen from her. The only thing the police give her is she beats the shit out of two of them to take their car to get there to do her own actual justice work. That's their sole contribution to the narrative. Uh, and in this one, they pretty much show up. I think uh, he has to kill all the robbers. I think they might shoot at him. So he has to shoot down their helicopter because they mistake him for being one of the robbers. It's a really a bizarre sequence. And again, kind of like that That sort of, you know, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on here. He had like, uh, Steve, who's the stuntman? Is the Turbo Man? Is the, the uh, credit. Turbo stuntman. Man? Yeah, yeah, of course. Turbo, Turbo man, man is the credited stuntman for this. So there's a yeah. bunch of cool uh, car stunts and shit in this, and, like, an exploding helicopter and stuff, but it's still, again, framed as this kind of, like, matter-of-fact, kind of slightly dull sort of way.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, uh... It's... <laughs> it's unlike anything I've ever seen, okay? Like, it, at the end of the day, you may love Boar and Vibenius's films, you may be disgusted by them. However... No one in the history of film has seamlessly meshed like action cinema and and exploitation and hardcore pornography the way Bo Arn does. This is it's it's one of a kind. And uh, yeah, also I I don't know how many people this is gonna appeal to. But I guess if you're listening to this podcast, go find yourself some fucking Bo Arn, man. We should post a link to this. I don't think anyone's gonna come for us because I'm not sure how you, you know, would license theme from the Third Man uh, for your yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm really, I would really DVD love. Release.
2: I would really love if like Vinegar Syndrome or someone could rescue this. They ha- they used the, They include a clip in the their thriller, a cruel documentary supplement. You know, uh, so they're aware of it, obviously. But uh, I, I would love if someone mm. could rescue it. But yeah, that soundtrack might that might have to go, and that would be a real goddamn shame. Yeah, but it like adds the current so version looks like absolute shit. It, it just looks like a fucking fourth gen beat up VHS with burnt in Swedish subtitles. It's dubbed in English. It's dubbed really badly in English. There's an amazing scene in it where where he hooks up with a woman in the forest. Uh, and she propositions him sexually in the angriest voice I've ever heard. Uh, she doesn't sound like... It sounds like the voice actor just didn't want to be there that day. Uh, real, real odd vibes. Kind of plays in with the whole rest of the movie, though. It's like, what the hell is going on? I have no idea.
0: Yeah, I don't know who this film is for, really. I mean, it's for me, I guess. But it's... it's I guess if you're, like, really into this sort of... Like a vampire's kiss... Like if that's one of your favorite cult films and you don't mind a whole bunch of horrifying shit happening at all times, then, then go dig this up. Cause it'll be right up your goddamn alley. God.
1: All right, boys. Well, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know if there's really much more to say about Bowling point other than, uh, we'll, we'll post a link to it. Just hit us up on Twitter and you too can watch a guy, uh, get his dick rocked by a rubber band. Um, <laughs> yeah, just just a a, a lot of listless blowjobs. That's that's the uh, optimism vaccine
2: God. promise right there. Uh.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's great. I'm just I'm just glad buttholes are back. You know, I I feel like we've been kind of getting away from our our butthole ethos that we established here at optimism vaccine. Our bread vaccine. and butthole. Yeah, our bread <laughs> and butthole. Our buttered butthole. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Anyways, uh, Maros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I haven't watched a ton. I guess I checked out this, uh, the, uh, uh, Netflix again, God forbid, but, uh, there's a cartoon from the guy who made, uh, Gravity Falls, so it's, uh, more for grown-ups, which means it's, it's kind of worse, because it has just a lot of crass jokes that kind of don't hit, but, it's still funny enough, uh, worth a little watch, it's called Inside Job. Uh, not not bad, uh, worth a few hours of your time. Uh, Jack, what are you putting over this week?
2: Uh, also not been watching too much stuff, but you know, I'm going to put over, I just watched it uh, yesterday in cinema, was very lucky to catch it, Starman, by a little guy by the name of John Carpenter, you may have heard of him, he's basically a professional gamer him. now. Uh, he's living the dream. He just gets Halloween checks in the mail, and he plays video games. Um, but yeah, Starman is one I've I've seen it before, but it's been a long, long time, and I remember it being good. But it's it's better than I remember. It's weirdly uh, weirdly kind of joyfully anti-authoritarian. It's really a a wonderful movie about obviously a woman who goes on the run with an alien who looks like her dead husband, and they kind of bond, and uh, you know, kind of has a fish out of water element. But it's also just about friendly people they meet along the way going out of their way to basically fuck over the government and the police so they can't catch them. It's really, it's a really beautiful kind of a thing, and a movie full of you know very American images. Uh, you know, it's it's just a, it's it's just a really good movie. It kind of just reminds me of John Carpenter just really didn't have many off days at all, and certainly in the eighties I don't think he had any. So yeah, Starman, it's it's really good.
1: Starman is good. Kind of underrated. Um, it is. Not, not a carpenter a lot of people think of when they think of the man. But yeah, check out, check out some Starman. Do yourself a favor there. Uh, I'm going to put out something, or I'm going to put over something that's, uh, you know, it's probably as good as Starman. And I was thinking, what have I seen a lot of this week? And the answer, butts and nuts. That's what it's all about. And if I'm thinking of contemporary films they are going to show me a lot of butts and nuts, I got to go... Jackass 4.5, which I just watched the other day, uh, includes a little sketch where uh, they funnel hot sauce into their buttholes and then cool them down by sticking popsicles in their buttholes. And uh, as far as nuts go, there's the famous opening from Jackass Forever that they kind of go into greater detail about in Jackass 4.5, kind of show how it was put together. but. Basically, Chris Pontius uh, puts his <clears throat> penis through a, a board that has a cityscape built, and then they they like airbrushed a Godzilla monster onto it, so his, his nuts and his shaft kind of make this uh, Godzilla monster. And uh, really, watching Jackass 4.5, that alone makes it worth it because you learn that uh, basically the most talented makeup, practical effects and puppeteers in Hollywood currently were involved in making this penis monster work properly. And uh, that's, that's wonderful. Glad those people can put that on their resume. So yeah, Jackass 4.5. It's a wonderful little coda, little send off for the the series. Cause they're all old and dying. So I don't think they're going to do any more of these. Uh, but if you've seen Jackass forever, definitely check it out. This is uh, it's, it's well worth it. There's some fun stuff in there. Uh, not a single thing I would cut just, End to end bangers, real stupid shit. And with that, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, do us a favor. There's a link, and when you click that link, you can give us money. That's right, you can donate to our Patreon. Steve, why would I want to donate to your Patreon? That's, that's a really good question. And the answer is because uh, you get free shit. I-, I mean, no matter what amount you donate at, I'm going to send you a movie from my personal collection. And Jack, I don't know how long I've been collecting. Uh, Physical media, but it, it finally happened. Finally, fucking happened, man. I uh, I got my vinegar cinder mortar, and I got a copy of uh, "Don't Go Into the Woods Alone." And guess what? I already own.
2: Oh no, that's it. That's oh, yeah. No. I, I've I've years and years. I staved it off, but finally, it happened to me a while back too. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a a
1: sick disease that we have. No,
2: no, the important thing to remember is there's Uh, nothing wrong with just hoarding physical media. That part's fine. It's just a bummer when you accidentally uh, don't realize you own something already and buy it again. (laughs)
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. totally totally but this is this is beneficial for our listeners because whoever donates next to the patreon you're gonna get a, a brand new fucking vinegar syndrome blu-ray that's pretty cool there's all kinds of stuff that i have ready to ship off to you dear listener and all you got to do is give us money uh and if you donate at higher levels uh you can get your name read off on the air or you could even dictate content you want us to watch that other Boar arm vibenius Movie that's only in Swedish without any subtitles. We'll watch it for you. Uh, you got a list of great butthole cinema that you think Myros needs to watch. He's ready for it. Bring the butts. We're here. We're here for it. So just something to think about. Also, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, you can email us optimismvaccine at gmail dot com or you can tweet at us at optimism vaccine. And I mean, we're probably gonna we're gonna post a link to breaking point. So there you go. You're going to you, we're already giving you another free movie. It's incredible. Look at the service we provide, Jack. Can you believe
2: it? I find it hard to believe we do any of the things we do, Steve.
1: It's it's really it's quite remarkable. Uh one of one of the most charitable forces in the world today. It's us. We're great. Uh anyways, that's all we got for this week.
0: See you later.